Being somebody who grew up in the middle of nowhere and still spends a massive amount of time out in the middle of nowhere, it's safe to say that spooky things happen quite often out there and you get desensitized to it pretty quickly. When I moved to the city for the first time, I was absolutely shocked to learn that yes, there indeed was a new set of dangers for me to worry about, but I also realized just how weird and unexpected the middle of nowhere really was. Today's video, I will be sharing a few of these weird and unexplainable stories from the middle of nowhere that have recently been sent into the channel. As always, if you would like me to share your story in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or at r slash thedarkswamp on reddit. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Are you 50 or older, or are you close to someone that is? If so, listen up. If you're listening to this Gerber Life Guaranteed Life Insurance Sponsorship ad, there's a good chance that you're alive. And if you're not, well, this may not be of interest to you. Now, I know what you're thinking. Life insurance? I'm gonna live forever. Death is what happens to other people. Well, for the sake of argument, let's assume you're wrong and that someday you won't be listening to podcasts anymore. I know, it's not easy to talk about, so I'll do the talking. If you're 50 plus and alive, or 50 to 75 in New York, you can apply for Gerber Life Guaranteed Life Insurance with guaranteed acceptance regardless of your health. And since this life insurance is guaranteed, you don't have to get a medical exam. In fact, you don't even have to fill out a health questionnaire. For a free quote, just visit GerberLifeFamily.com. Then when you stop, I mean if you stop listening to these podcasts, your family can use the insurance money to help cover your final expenses or anything else. Your kids already inherited your ears, allergies, and questionable singing voice. Don't make them inherit your final expenses tab too. See website for terms and restrictions. Middle of Nowhere Stalkers by Bunny Hop In the early 2000s, my parents decided to leave Belfast, Ireland and travel to Canada and parts of South America before they settled and started a family back here. They left and went to Canada with only backpacks and a small amount of money, and both got cash in hand jobs in a bar in a small town while living out of a camper van. After a few months, they decided to start correctly traveling because they were now financially stable enough to, and off they set. They had a fantastic time, and met many people who are now close family friends that still visit us a few times a year. Although most of their trip consisted of learning about indigenous culture, hiking, and meeting many new people, there was one strange thing they still cannot explain to this day. One night during the summer of 2004, they were driving down some country lanes, miles from any civilization trying to find somewhere to park up for the night in camp. They had seen only two or three cars the entire night, so when they saw two small sets of headlights behind them, they found it quite strange but thought nothing of it. They continued to drive down the dirt road, but the headlights kept getting closer and closer until they were right up on the back of my parents' van. That's when my parents noticed they were two quad bikes. The two people began revving their engines and flashing their lights, causing my parents to slow down to an almost stop. As they did, the two quad bikes pulled over on either side of the van and gave my parents the signal to roll down the windows. My dad sensed something was not right about this situation, so they only cracked the windows very slightly. The two people on the quad bike said nothing but lifted the visors on their helmets and stared into my parents' car for three or four minutes. They said it was the most uncomfortable, eerie thing they have ever experienced because it was pitch dark outside and dead silent and they could barely see the people's eyes. After the intense, unwelcoming stare-down that lasted ages, the people put their visors back down and sped off into the night. 
My parents were left in the middle of nowhere, feeling confused and downright freaking terrified. So they pulled over on the road right then and there and didn't get one wink of sleep out of fear that the people would be coming back on their bikes. My dad thinks they were weird rednecks, if you get what I mean, that felt threatened by my parents being there. But my mom has no idea what it could have been. They are both still freaked out years later and still have no idea why it happened and they have no idea who these people were, how they found them, and why they were following them for so long. This was literally in the middle of nowhere South America, miles and miles into the woods. The people on the quad bikes had a well thought out plan and it didn't seem like the first time they had done it, which made it even weirder. The people never came back, nothing like that has ever happened to them after that, and to this day, they're still trying to figure out why it happened. Home Invasion by Anonymous This story happened sometime in the mid-1980s when my mom was a teenager in high school. My mother and aunt grew up in a farm in central Florida that was relatively in the middle of nowhere at the time. We still live in this area, which is much more urbanized now, but at this point, it was primarily woods and farmland. My great-uncle, aunt, and cousins lived on that same property in another house, so they weren't necessarily alone. But outside of that, you would have to drive a mile, or maybe a little less than that, before reaching their next neighbor. My grandfather coached for the local high school football team, and my mother and aunt were cheerleaders. So on Fridays, he would have to coach at the school's game, and my mom and aunt would be there to cheerlead. The rest of the family would usually come along as well, since my cousins went to the same school and there wasn't anything else to do in that small town on a Friday night. So they would usually get to the game earlier than everyone else, considering he was a coach. One particular Friday, however, my mother started feeling very sick throughout the day, and by the time the evening rolled around, she felt horrible. She informed my grandfather that she wasn't ready to go and would stay home to rest. My grandma made her something to eat for dinner and the whole family, including my great aunt and great uncle, went on their way to the game. She was alone on their property, for some context, we eventually ended up selling this property when I was a young child, so I only have a few memories of my grandparents' property. One of the things I remember, though, was that it could be very creepy at night, and that was with other people there. So imagine being alone at night. It must be a lot more frightening. Anyways, my mom went to lay down right after they left, but not long after, maybe 5 or 10 minutes, she realized she needed to call her cheerleading coach at the school to let her know that she wasn't going to be there tonight so that she could be prepared for her absence. Keep in mind, this is the mid-1980s, so there are no cell phones. My mom has to get up and walk to the kitchen to use the phone. She starts to feel a bit creeped out as she walks through the house, like that classic feeling of something not being right. That instinctual feeling we get when something is just telling us that we're in potential harmful situations and may not even know it yet. Outside it is getting dark out and there are not many lights on in the house which contributes to this uneasy feeling. A considerable detail to add is that the phone in my grandparents' house at the time had a longer cord than most phones. She says that you could walk into other rooms and the line was long enough that you could probably bring it around the whole house if you wanted to. Definitely the living room, the hallway, and my grandparents' bedroom. In the hallway by the kitchen and by my grandparents' bedroom, my grandfather kept a shotgun on the wall, fully loaded and ready to go. Not the safest thing, I know, but when you live alone in the woods, I think you want to be prepared to defend yourself at any second. He had always told my mom and aunt, do not touch that shotgun unless your life is in danger. She took this very seriously and had never thought about touching the gun once in her life. By this point, she was in the kitchen. She dialed the number to call her coach and informed her about her illness. 
I believe they continued talking for a minute because she said the coach was still on the phone when my mom heard strange noises coming from my grandparents' room. My mother, terrified, told the coach she heard something and grabbed the shotgun off the wall. The phone still pressed to her ear. She wasn't sure if she was overreacting and had imagined something, but she opened the door to my grandparents' room and what she saw made her drop the phone right on the floor in shock. The window was open and there was a large man with one leg over in the windowsill with one leg still outside. Well, what was awkward about this was that he had stopped in the middle of coming in when he realized he had been caught, as if he was not expecting someone to be home or that he did not expect her to have come in or whatever. They just stared at each other for a good five seconds. He was just halfway in the room, and her standing there in the doorway, phone on the floor with my mom's coach still on the line asking if she was okay, shotgun in hand, staring at each other. Both almost unsure of what to do, my mom, terribly frightened, finally mustered up the will to speak first in a timid but afraid voice, saying, I, I have a gun? Turn around and leave or I'll shoot. The man just stood there. She said it was as if he was wondering whether she was bluffing. Finally, after what felt like hours of just staring at each other blankly, he suddenly swung his other leg in very fast and turned quickly like he was about to charge her. My mother, terrified with her hand shaking, fired the shotgun and hit him in the shoulder. The impact was so much that it knocked her back on the floor and sent the man directly out the window he had come in. Blood was everywhere around the window. She picked the phone back up, sobbing, telling her coach to call the police to her house. Looking back, the man was running, clutching his shoulder, bleeding out all over their yard, running back into the woods behind their property. Keep in mind, he had just been shot in the shoulder with a shotgun, and it's not like it was a handgun or something. This dude immediately had gotten up like it was nothing and started hauling ass off into the woods. I don't know the exact order of what happened next, but the police eventually did get there. My grandparents hurried home shortly after that, and the police were still there. What was the most weird about this story was that the guy had left a trail of blood as he fled the property that went into the woods. The police investigated it and found that it continued into the forest and then eventually just stopped. There was nobody there or anything like that. The blood just stopped, and they never caught the guy. I think it's bizarre because she had shot him in his upper torso with a shotgun, and the room window looked like a horror movie scene. There was so much blood. How he got away apparently alive and so quickly without the cops catching up to him is quite odd. Ghost of Foster by Juanito P. I'm a senior at a small liberal arts college in central Maine. Its forestry and ruralness give it a whole reputation of having a very eerie feeling. Maine is an old state. My college is so old that it was founded when Maine was basically founded in the late 18th century. Our campus is located in the town of Waterville, which some of you might be familiar with as the town in the 2001 released film, Wet Hot American Summer. Many people do not know Waterville is a real place because it's based on a real summer camp in Winslow connected across the Kennebec River by a suspension bridge where this incident occurs. The bridge connecting Waterville to Winslow is a bridge called Two Cent Bridge. It is one of the oldest cable suspension bridges in the United States, constructed in 1901. Unfortunately, Maine suffered economically when much of this timber industry left the state. The Two Cent Bridge was initially built to serve workers who walked to work to the wood and paper mill across the river. I'm in my early 20s and growing up, I was never really a huge believer in the paranormal. While I wanted to believe, I had to see something with my own eyes. Seeing is believing, you know? While on the way back from my nightly hike across the bridge at around 8pm on February 28th, 
I noticed a tall black figure without any facial features about 50 feet in front of me. I initially thought it was just another person. However, its blurry appearance resembled the version of a human caricature you would see on like restroom signs. The figure appeared to be wearing what resembled to be some sort of construction hat maybe. Then without warning, the figure aggressively sprinted with force horizontally to the right. I expected to see the figure going down the path and then it vanished out of thin air right in front of my eyes. I was in shock. It was one of the most disturbing things I had ever witnessed. To give you some perspective on how skeptical I was about the paranormal, I sat on the ground for 30 minutes afterward repeating to myself, I'll be damned, I was wrong. After researching the area, I eventually named the figure Foster. Moses Foster was the mayor of Waterville in the 1800s who built the city hall and the railroad bridge next to the Two Cent Bridge. Both were vital to the town's economy, however the economy of Waterville still suffered. There was a dorm at a nearby New Hampshire boarding school I attended named Foster as well. I can't confirm that this was related to that, however, public records say he was a Maine and New Hampshire merchant. I want to say I'm not scared to go back to that bridge. I am interested in a career in law enforcement and the people who can actually hurt you are a little bit scarier than the ghost in my opinion, but I still have respect for the paranormal regardless. Hitchhiking Gone Wrong by Anonymous I've seen a few stories on this show in the past about how carrying a can of gas in your trunk is dangerous. First of all, that's just nonsense. First, unless someone rear-ends you while you're on fire, there's much more of a risk of explosion or fire from the gas in your tank. Secondly, the dangers you're putting yourself in by not carrying spare gas far outweigh the apparent risk of doing so. And now I'll tell you why. I used to drive around the country a ton as a part of traveling and being a salesman. Before my retirement, I was an aluminum siding salesman. And although it was a tough job that kept me away from my family for weeks at a time, it was incredibly financially rewarding, especially in northern states like Nebraska where winter temperatures could drop to dangerous levels. So as you might have guessed, I ended up stuck by the side of the highway one rough winter when I discovered I had forgotten to top my gas can before my journey. I was furious with myself, but almost pretty frightened. The weather was making a turn for the worst, and it would be hazardous to go looking for a gas station. So I was forced to hitchhike. The thing about the Midwest is that people can be much, much friendlier than out on the East Coast. Maybe it's those rural sensibilities but I was on that highway for a lot less time than I expected when a car pulled up on the verge and a driver enthusiastically invited me to hop in. He told me his name was Donald and the vehicle he was driving was like anything I had ever seen. He turned the thing into a mobile home and the car looked highly lived in. Laptop and phone chargers were running out of battery attachments, garbage was dumped in the footwells and even a loudspeaker was grafted on top of the car. It almost looked like a police cruiser from some post-apocalyptic future. Anyway, I climbed into this guy's car and explained that I needed him to drive me to the nearest gas station if possible so I could get back on the road. In a raspy, gravelly voice, he agrees to help me out and we are on our way. But as soon as we are back on the highway, he starts asking me probing questions about my life and job. When I tell him I'm an aluminum sighting salesman, he starts accusing me of trying to trick sweet old ladies out of their pensions for paneling that would have them freezing to death in the winter. Now obviously I took serious offense to this. I wasn't some vulture who preyed on the weak. I took pride in my work, even if it wasn't what I dreamt of doing when I was a kid. 
Donald backed off a little bit at this point and grumbled an apology through gritted teeth. He told me he'd met many bad people in his life, how he didn't mean anything by it, and how he was glad I was one of the good guys. We dodged this conversational bullet when a gas station finally came into view. Donald pulled off the road where I hopped out and headed over to grab a spare gas can. At first, I figured he might drive off on me, and I silently prepared myself that to be the case. Only, he didn't. He stayed, just as he said he would. Yet, as I'm walking back over to Donald's vehicle, something catches my eye that has my heart racing. I can see a flame inside the car. Small enough to be from a cigarette lighter, but still alarming. Giving that he's using a lighter in a goddamn gas station. Do you really want to talk about serious dangers? There's one right there. I crack the car door and I'm about to ask him what he's thinking when I see exactly what he's doing with the lighter. Donald was burning his hair. What the hell are you doing, man? I remember asking him in total and utter confusion. Saves money on the haircuts, he replied. But here's the thing. I could hear the pain in his voice as the flames reached the scalp and fizzled out. Besides, you gotta get it nice and hot when you're feathering it, brother. I was utterly lost for words. He was using a cigarette lighter to style his hair. So I asked him again what he thought he was doing using a lighter at a goddamn gas station. He snapped back at me, but I asserted that I was holding a freaking gas canister in my hand and he should put that thing away before I got back in. But that's not even the weirdest thing he did. Driving me back to my car, Donald began complaining about tooth pain. I sympathized a great deal. My daughter had some dental work done that previous year and it had cost us a fortune. That and tooth pain can be terrible. So I began to relate the story of my daughter's ordeal. That's when he began to growl and pull over to the side of the road. He seemed furious and at first I was worried he would try to kick me out of the car right then and there on the side of this icy highway. But I could never have anticipated what he did next. Donald reached under the driver's seat and pulled out one of the biggest freaking hunting knives I had ever seen in my life. He looked at me, holding the thing tight in his grip and gave me a wolfish grin. I'm not embarrassed to admit that I was terrified. The guy wasn't playing with a full deck if you're catching my meaning. And I slowly prepared to throw myself out of the passenger side if he went for me with the blade. But he didn't. Instead, Donald put the knife into his mouth and I heard the sharp edge grind against one of his teeth as he bit down on it. I remember desperately wanting to ask him what he was doing, but the words just wouldn't come out. But all I could do was watch as a few drops of blood suddenly bubbled between his lips and ran down his chin. He was ripping his goddamn tooth out with the knife blade. It was horrific and in the end I couldn't bring myself to watch as he grunted and growled his raspy voice grinding in agony as he dislodged a tooth with a sickening crunch. As I said, I wasn't watching, but I listened as he spat the broken tooth into his palm, rolled down the window, and tossed it onto the highway. You could have saved a few dollars on your daughter like that, brother, he said, in between spitting out mouthfuls of blood through the open driver's door window. Again, I couldn't find the words. I was utterly just left in shock and disbelief of what I had been witnessing. Luckily, we rolled up to my gasless car not long after and as promised, David slowed to a stop and let me out, which helped me get back on the road. I thanked him genuinely, and all he did was let out his horrifying gravelly laugh. It sounded genuinely evil, but I don't think he was meaning any harm. He was just manic. I still think about Donald sometimes and wonder how he's doing, if he still lives in that car performing self-surgery. But on that off chance, he comes across this story somehow. Thanks, Donald but please get some help. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true middle-of-nowhere horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. 
per usual, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or on reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to slap that like button as it helps me out a ton, subscribe if you're new as it helps the channel grow, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please give this a 5-star rating over there as it helps us grow on those platforms. Be sure to comment your favorite story tonight. I know it's always hard to pick one, but it lets me know which stories I should focus on more in the future. If you're on the go, but don't have YouTube Premium, but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller Scary Stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and pretty much anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. Be sure to join me across the internet on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all those good places, and I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.